The Daily Rios, episode 350 for Tuesday, September 6th, 2016. Happy post-Labor Day weekend. I hope everybody had a good, relaxing time, a safe weekend. Mine was a little busy here and there. I haven't dropped a, a couple of episodes in a, in a little bit. Uh, one of the things that happened this weekend that was kind of cool was that I got to meet up with an old roommate who I hadn't seen for a number of years. And she stopped by and we had some lunch and we talked about theater and a whole bunch of other things. It was really awesome to catch up. Learned that she's been listening to some podcasts. She found out that I did my own podcast and said she was going to listen. So, Kelly, I can't imagine that this particular episode, the content of the episode, is going to be all that interesting. But here is the obligatory shout-out to you that I said I would do. So, hi, Kelly. Uh, welcome to my podcast. Uh, also, a huge uh, just pat on the back and um, an applause to Pants, Brian Christman, for putting out the re most recent CGS episode celebrating the life of Jamie D. He turned 50 yesterday, Monday, September 5th, and a whole bunch of family and friends and listeners uh, just compiled their thoughts and their uh, memories and just things that they wanted to say about Jamie D. and Pants put it all together in a big episode. I was uh, unfortunately not able to get my contribution in but it's still incredibly heartwarming and amazing to see people all over the world uh, who were touched by Jamie, who listened to Jamie, uh, you know, still talk about him. Uh, it's been a number of years since we lost him. So uh, go check that out if you haven't seen uh, the link. It's Comic Geek Speak episode. It's a, an episode all about Jamie D for his 50th birthday. And although I didn't do many of my own podcasts, over the past couple of days, I did guest host on another podcast, and that episode will be released uh, sometime in the next week or two. And when it's released, I will make sure to let people know about it because it's a, it was a, all about a fun topic that's near and dear to my heart. And um, I really appreciate guest hosting on that podcast, and I always enjoy talking with that podcaster. So you will hear that episode uh, soon, and when you do, I hope you enjoy our contributions. Aquaman, swift and powerful monarch of the oceans, with ability to summon and command all creatures of the deep. Aquaman, who with his teenage ally, Aqualad, guards and defends all that lives in the seas against the forces of evil. Aquaman, king of the seven seas. If you didn't see the title of this episode, today is a Timeline Tuesday podcast. That's right, I'm going to go through all the anniversaries, first appearances, uh, special moments, whatever, of uh, comic books and characters and creators, uh, taking a look at the anniversaries from 10 years ago, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, and 75 years ago, anything and everything that might have happened in September, in the month of September. So we're going to stop off at 10 years ago, September 2006. Not a lot going on. I mean, there was a lot going on, but I, I didn't find anything overly major. Um, Civil War was still wrapping up at Marvel this at this point. 
at DC, uh, the 52 series was going on and their titles, um, some of the titles had just begun. Other ones were finding new creative teams, but you could more or less say that they were between major events or major thematic story things going on. So I do have a few things here, but, um, for this timeline Tuesday, um, this is a you know not as grand as maybe some of the previous ones had for ten years ago, so we start with Wildstorm's World Storm event. This is where they were going to redo and rebrand and relaunch all their titles, starting with Wildcats number one by Grant Morrison and Jim Lee, which lasted all of one issue. Also in September, Wetworks by Mike Carey and Will Sportasio. Now this lasted fifteen issues. And then, of course, in later months, we would get uh, Authority by Morrison and Gene Ha. Again, didn't last long. Uh, Gen 13 by Gail Simone and Talent Caldwell. Death Blow by Brian Azzarello. Midnighter by uh, Garth Ennis and Chris Sprouse. It was a relaunch and a rebranding that just, it was dead out of the door. I mean, it barely made a mark. So that happened 10 years ago today, or this month of September. From Marvel, we had X-Men Phoenix War Song, number one of five. This was a sequel to the End Song miniseries. This one was by Greg Pak and Tyler Kirkham. It featured the Stepford Cuckoos. And there was a lot of information about the Phoenix Force in this miniseries, but I can't say it necessarily traveled over to the titles at that time. Um, and I was reading some of the X-Men stuff. But this miniseries felt sort of on the sidelines, even though it dealt with uh, the Stepford Cuckoos, their connection to the Phoenix Force, the revelation that they were more or less clones of the White Queen. I'm not sure if any of it even sticks to this day. But, uh, um, you know, they were trying to do something ever since Jean Grey had died. And uh, it's kind of crazy to think that Jean Grey is still dead. Um, All right, also, there was the X-Men First Class miniseries. Number one of eight came out in September. Jeff Parker, Roger Cruz. Uh, uh, This would be followed by an ongoing series. Now, there's some speculation that this miniseries, this title, helped to bring about the 2011 First Class X-Men movie, but it had nothing to do with the comic. The movie had nothing to do with the comic, so I think they just took the name, if anything else. Also from Marvel, Union Jack, one of four, a miniseries by Christos Gage and Mike Perkins, beautifully drawn by Mike Perkins, featuring a whole bunch of international characters like Arabian Knight and Sabra and the Contessa. Um, I'm just pointing it out because uh, I liked that miniseries, and if you haven't read it, you really should, because it's uh, it didn't focus on American, comic, uh, American characters, and it wasn't featured, the story wasn't in America, so it just was kind of nice to read something different. Um, Other things 10 years ago for September. True Story, Swear to God, Moves to Image uh, by Tom Bieland, and uh, there was a Crypto the Superdog six-issue series from DC, more or less based on the animated series at the time. All right, 25 years ago, September of 1991. Now, I said in the previous Timeline Tuesday that 91 and 92, and, you know, even 93, all really big years, and we're starting to see a lot of that stuff happen already. So 25 years ago in September, we got Spider-Man 16, 
which was a crossover with X-Force at the time. Now, this isn't Amazing Spider-Man. It's just Spider-Man, which was the title um, that was created so that Todd McFarlane could write and draw Spider-Man. This was the issue that was sideways. It was, uh, instead of being vertical, it was horizontal as you read it, featuring Juggernaut and X-Force and Black Tom. Um, This was also Todd McFarlane's final issue on Spider-Man. After this issue, he left Spider-Man, left Marvel Comics. Uh, He would be replaced one issue later by Eric Larson. But that exodus is really kind of one of the first first small steps to what would be known as Image Comics. It would be, oh, I don't know, a little less than a year that Todd McFarlane would return to comics with Spawn. And uh, Spider-Man 16 was the... uh, issue that he finally had enough of Marvel editorial and decided to walk out and go on his own. So then we get Uncanny X-Men 282, which is the first appearance of Bishop, created by Will Sportacio and Jim Lee, two other creators associated with Image Comics. This was written by John Byrne, Will Sportacio, uh, uh, inks by Art, Art Tiber, Bob Harris was the editor. So Bishop shows up, I think, near the end of the issue with uh, Malcolm and Randall, and he's chasing the character known as Fitzroy, and he's from the not-so-distant future. Uh, The group that he's with is called the XSE, which I think stands for Xavier uh, Student Enforcers or something like that. And we would get a subplot eventually in the next couple issues that um, there is a character from his time in the future that is long-lived, and they call him The Witness. And he was there back in our time when this crazy thing happened with the X-Men, where they apparently died. There was a traitor in the midst, and they die. And the character known as The Witness is the only one left who even remembers it. So all this stuff started to come into the X-Men universe because of this character from the future. And it's not like the X-Men aren't strangers to alternate futures and timelines, etc. But um, for a one-off, what could have been a one-off character, Bishop became a major, major player within the X-Men universe. Thankfully, right? You know, the X-Men needs needed some diversity at the time. So Uncanny X-Men 282, 25 years ago, first appearance of Bishop. Speaking of Wills Portacio, there was a two-issue miniseries in, uh, that began in September of 1991, uh, featuring the characters known as Legion of Night by Steve Gerber and Wills Portacio. It was a prestige format two-issue miniseries, and you had characters like Jennifer Kale and Omen. It it was just it was kind of like the magic dark supernatural characters all brought together uh, to fight some cult or whatever. And Steve Gerber wanted to take these characters and try to use them during the whole Midnight Suns thing that Marvel was doing, but they didn't want it. So you just got like these two issues and maybe one other storyline. But I remember this was the book that I really grooved on Wills Portacio's artwork. Um, I may have seen it from the X-Men stuff, but this was the one I was like, oh, wow, who's this artist? So um, I thought I would point that out. Plus, it has a connection with Bishop. And then speaking of John Byrne, who also co-wrote that first appearance. Well, I mean, co-wrote. Who knows how deeply he really wrote 
that issue. He might have just given suggestions or had a plot line or something like that. But anyway, from DC, he put out the four-issue prestige format miniseries of OMAC. And this was black and white. It was $3.95 an issue. Now think about that. Back then, 1991, there was a $3.95 book. Probably felt like that was really expensive. And now look at what today's books are, right? Anyway, um, I loved this series. I thought this was the height of John Byrne's storytelling for me. Um, it features Omac. Uh, I love Omac as a character. It it kind of tries to make sense of all of Jack Kirby's crazy concepts. Um, it puts him in the past. It's all about time travel, alternate timelines. It's bizarre, but it's uh, quite enjoyable. And um, I just recently picked up all the issues again in back issue bins, and I'm looking forward to reading that. Also, 25 years ago for DC, Armageddon 2001, number two, Denny O'Neill, Dan Jurgens, uh, a ton of inkers, Adrian Roy on colors. This is it. This is the storyline we were all waiting for, the identity of Monarch revealed, and it's not who we thought it was going to be. Instead of Captain Adam which is what it was supposed to be and what it should have been. Uh, the story was leaked, people figured it out, and they decided to make the villain known as Monarch. Uh, they find they decided to give the identity to Hank Hall of Hawk and Dove. And comics would never be the same. Certainly, Hawk would never be the same again. Hawk and Dove would never be the same again. I don't know if I was ter- terribly upset about that in the way some people were, when you read the art, when you read articles about it, you always hear uh, speculations that uh, people people kept saying, "Oh, all the clues were there that it was supposed to be Captain Adam. All the clues were there." There really weren't many clues. I mean, the biggest clue was that um, right before this issue, the previous annual that tied into it, I believe, was like Justice League Europe or Justice League America, and the last page featured. Wave Rider getting ready to touch Captain Adam, and then they said continued to Armageddon 2001. Um, I think some other speculation came about because of a scorecard that DC released, a little trading card scorecard of all the annual tie-ins and how this story was going to play out in publishing order. And again, the same thing, because, because of the Justice League issue that was featured near the end, in which Captain Adam was a member, most people kind of assumed that it was him. But within the story itself, I'll read it again, I can't say that within the story you knew it was going to be Captain Adam. So, um, you know, that, it is what it is. Anyway, so there were some tie-ins afterwards. There was Armageddon Alien Agenda, which featured Captain Adam chasing the new monarch. Uh, and then there was Armageddon Inferno, which would bring back the JSA from Limbo, which is where they were stuck ever since the crisis. So kind of an important issue. Um, also, 25 years ago, this is just a little bit of a one-off, Griffin number 1 of 6 by Dan Vado, Norman Felchie, inker Mark McKenna, uh, color artist Steve Olaf. This was edited by Archie Goodwin. This was a series and a character that Dan Vado and Norman Felchie did for Slave Labor Graphics. Um, or they self-published it, I think, in the late 80s. And then DC put it out, and then um, they got the rights back again. 
And and I think that's when they publish it through Slave Labor, slave labor Graphics. They publish a, a trade of it. I love the story. It's about a guy, a teenage athlete from like the 50s and 60s who gets abducted by aliens. And he serves in their military as this powerful character named Griffin. And then decides 20 years later to go AWOL and return to Earth and, and think – and he's going to you know, try to reunite with his family and, his fr- and friends who all thought he was dead. It's, it's funny. Um, there's some interesting story developments that happen later. It's not meant to be terribly serious, especially when you look at what the aliens look like who captured him. Um, and then there are other agents within this military that he has to battle and – I don't know. I, I just really liked it. I really, really liked it. I really enjoyed this series. So uh, I'm just, I, when I w- was going through my notes, I said, oh my God, that was 25 years ago. So uh, there you go. All right, let's go to 50 years ago, September of 1966. Uh, a few major anniversaries here. We get Captain Adam number 83 from the Charlton Comics Publishing Group. First appearance of... Blue Beetle, the Ted Cord Blue Beetle by Steve Ditko. This is the Blue Beetle that had the bug and had the pistol with its blinding flash of light or with its air blast. And on the cover it says, The All-New Adventures of the All-New Blue Beetle. He was tied to Dan Garrett, the previous Blue Beetle, um, and he would feature as a backup story within Captain Adam for a few issues and then get his own series, which didn't last really long. Um, and in that series, the question would be a backup. And then eventually Ted Cord would show up in the crisis and would eventually get his own series from DC by Len Wein. So uh, happy 50th to Ted Cord. Again, it kind of, you know, when you look back at some of these anniversaries, you realize uh, how they could connect to um, current comics. And certainly with DC Rebirth, Ted Cord is back, and he is uh, more or less uh, a mentor to the Jaime Reyes version um, within the Blue Beetle series that's going on now or just about ready to ship. So um, I think it's a no-brainer that they brought him back if it's his 50th anniversary. From Thor issue 134, we get the first appearance of the High Evolutionary, and along with the High Evolutionary comes Wondergore Mountain, and the Man-Beast, and the Knights of Wondergore. I actually just read this issue not too long ago because it uh, um, continues from the previous issue, which featured uh, Ego, the Living Planet, which I talked about in last month's Timeline Tuesday. So the High Evolutionary, as I read it, I said, wow, look at look at the Kirby design and the Kirby tech, and the character design hadn't really changed. It, it hasn't changed much. I mean, there are certain artists who who would take liberties, but when I saw the High Evolutionary on the page, I said, yeah, there it is. That is the High Evolutionary, isn't it? So uh, he's been around for 50 years. From DC, we have Plastic Man number one, which was a 20-issue series by Arnold, Arnold Drake and Gil Kane. It is not the first appearance of Plastic Man, but it is the first official DC appearance of Plastic Man, outside of the random House of Mystery appearance from a few months earlier um, with Robbie Reed and the Dial H for Hero concept. And there's some speculation that this is the Earth-1 Plastic Man, and, you know, who knows? Plastic Man is Plastic Man, so 
I thought I would give that a little bit of a nod. Uh, by the way, in that Thor issue, in the backup Tales of Asgard uh, story called When Speaks the Dragon, that's the first appearance of Fanfear the Dragon. So he's also celebrating his 50th anniversary. All right, and then Flash 165 features the wedding of Barry Allen and Iris West. And of course, whenever there's any kind of uh, wedding or romance thing, there's got to be a villain that's going to try to muck it all up. And in comes the reverse Flash, and he trades places with Barry Allen, almost marries Iris West. But of course, Barry comes and saves the day. Now, Iris doesn't know that Barry is Flash at this point, and he's still conflicted as, as to whether or not he even wants to tell her. And in this weird breaking of the fourth wall at the end of the issue, he turns to the readers and says, hey, readers, what would you do? Should I tell her? Should I not tell her? And then, of course, it cuts to, uh, you know, to be continued later or the end or whatever. But I thought that was kind of interesting that um, uh, that he would break the character within the book like that. So obviously, I mean, they're driving in a car and he just turns and it's no wonder Grant Morrison was so inspired by some of these Flash comics back in the day. Um, eventually Iris will find out, she'll find out that Barry Allen is Flash because he talks in his sleep. All right, and then lastly, from, uh, 50 years ago, Adventure Comics 350 is the first appearance of R.J. Brand, uh, who is very, um, pivotal to the Legion of Superheroes, and in Fantastic Four, issue 57, Doctor Doom steals Silver Surfer's powers, and the only reason I really give this a nod is because I just read it not too long ago, and this issue plus subsequent issues more or less are the inspiration for the second Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer movie. Okay, let's wrap it up to 75 years ago, September of 1941, and we get the biggest anniversaries yet of this episode. More Fun Comics 73 first appearance of Green Arrow and Speedy in a story by Mort Weisinger and George Papp, and also the first appearance of Aquaman, also by Mort Weisinger and artist Paul Norris. Now, Green Arrow and Speedy would feature prominently in more fun comics, leading comics, world's finest comics, and they would continue to do so pretty much through the 40s and 50s. Uh, Aquaman would go from more fun comics to adventure comics, to Justice League of America, and then eventually to his own title uh, of Aquaman. Green Arrow wouldn't get his own title until the early 80s with the four-issue Green Arrow miniseries by, um, oh, is it Mike W. Barr? I know the artist was Trevor Von Eden. So big 75th anniversaries going on there. In Action Comics 42, we get the first appearance of Vigilante, also by Mort Weisinger, this time with artist Mort Meskin. And this is the Greg Sanders vigilante, the prairie troubadour, who would eventually become part of the Seven Soldiers of Victory. And he would have appearances in action comics and leading comics, world's finest uh, adventure comics, JLA. What's interesting to note about his backup tales in action comics is that both he and Congo Bill would be backup stories in Action Comics. Well, and again, also, another Golden Age concept like Green Arrow and Aquaman that would go well into the 50s, uh, you know, shortly before the Silver Age. So um, he, was, he was kind of an important character for some reason. 
Um, he would also feature in All-Star Squadron. There was a James Robinson written miniseries called Vigilante City Lights Prairie Justice in 1995 with art by Tony Salmons. Only four issues. And I picked up this issue and then eventually sold it on eBay. And what's really weird about that is the guy that bought it was James Robinson. And I have to assume it was the James Robinson that wrote it. He never, because he was out in the West Coast and um, it was just kind of really strange. I said, wait a minute here. Uh, And I emailed him, but he never emailed back. And I'm sure those records are lost to time because that was sometime in the early uh, 2000s that I sold that series. I just thought it was really cool that I'm pretty sure I sold the miniseries to the writer himself. Um, And also Vigilante appeared in Grant Morrison's Seven Soldiers. And then finally, 75 years ago, uh, we have Green Lantern number one. This is the Alan Scott Green Lantern. Now, he had featured before this series in All-American Comics and All-Star Comics for about over a year, but he finally gets his own series under a beautiful cover by Howard Purcell. You've probably seen it. Uh, It's Alan Scott kind of uh, guarding himself against a man with a machete, and the background is a giant image of the Green Lantern battery, uh, all against a black background. It's actually a really beautiful cover for a Golden Age cover. This would last 38 issues until 1949. The first issue was by um, Bill Finger and Martin O'Dell. And um, this is volume one of Green Lantern, the Golden Age Green Lantern. And eventually, after the Silver Age, we would get volume two with Hal Jordan. So Green Lantern number one, 75 years ago, in the month of September. There you go. That's the Timeline Tuesday for September. Please let me know if there if there are any anniversaries that I missed, or if any of these kicked off some memories of comics you were reading 10 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, <laughs> if you are of that age, um, or if you've discovered some of the uh, uh, books around those times just recently, either because of back issues or things you found online or whatever. Um, there's a lot of content out there these days, a lot of, uh, you know, collections, Silver Age omnibuses and omnibuy and, um, you know, old archives you can find cheaply these days or digital, whatever. So I always like going through all my notes and stuff online to find out what are the big anniversaries and, uh, you know, maybe this will kick you off into reading one of these characters or one of these titles. So uh, let me know what you think and... But you can do that by going to the website and dropping a comment on the episode or sending me an email at peter at thedailyrios.com or Twitter message at Peter J. Rios. This has been The Daily Rios, episode 350 for Tuesday, September 6th, 2016. Talk to you soon.